Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome everyone to the Storybox. This is the place to be if you're a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, growing abundantly, and if you want to improve your overall life. My name is Jay Fansom, and I've made it my purpose to unbox and share the amazing stories from people of every profession all over the world. I'm grateful that you're here today. Let's journey into the Storybox together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. doing things a little bit different this week my friends instead of having three episodes i thought i would release a fourth one for you i want to try and bring as much value to your week as humanly possible and this this episode uh, is bound to be really really interesting because i have a 30 something year old virgin popular podcast host and a speaker and author her name is kat harris now For those of you that don't know who she is, you're about to get to know more about her very, very soon. But she's written a new book, which is coming out April 20th. You can go and pre-order a copy right now. It's called Sexless in the City, a sometimes sassy, sometimes painful, always honest look at dating, desire, and sex. The popular podcast host and founder of The Refined Woman shares how She researched, wrestled, and discovered a God who wasn't afraid or ashamed of sex and desire. She realized countless women uh, were dying to ask the same question she was, and to get answers from a female who had actually walked the walk, Kat compiled her findings to empower women to navigate today's dating culture with vision, clarity, and freedom. Uh, Some topics of the conversation that we get into on this podcast episode is a lot (laughs) but really we talk about why Kat decided to remain a virgin it's probably not a very popular uh, approach for some people but still she does it and does it well we also talk about uh, her other uh, belief systems and everything like that so it's a very very in-depth conversation I thoroughly enjoyed it Um, why instant gratification is killing our dating lives your femininity, femininity is not a liability. Consent, getting that, single or married, your purpose is not defined by your relationship status, which we do talk about in great detail on this. Uh, now, Kat's platform, The Refined Woman, shares her vision to be a voice of truth and hope while equipping women to walk in wholeness, worthiness, and freedom. She fiercely loves her big Texas family as well and is indebted to her 
faithful community scattered all over the world. She believes in the power of story, perfect fit for the story box, and that every opportunity is an opportunity for growth if we choose it to be. So with that all being said, if you do get something from this episode, please do share it around with your friends and your family. Let them know about this. Uh, it is pretty, pretty damn fascinating. Her new book, Sexless in the City, is available for pre-order now. It is coming out April 20th, but make sure that you go and get a copy. I guarantee you after listening to this episode, hearing about her story, you're going to want to know more. So go and do that now. Also, don't forget to tag Kat on Instagram. You can tag her at The Refined Woman and The Storybox Podcast. Let us know what you guys thought of this episode. Uh, and trust me when I say this, you're going to want to watch the video. It's available now over on YouTube. Links below once again. Don't forget to subscribe and continue to share around and leave a five-star rating and review over another podcast if you love this episode. Uh, guys, you know what time it is. It is time to dive into the story box and hear the story of the refined woman herself, Kat Harris. Oh, Jay, thank you so much for having me. It's so exciting to see you face to face over at the interwebs and I'm excited to talk with you and get real and connect and all of it. Thank you so much. I'm excited. Likewise, feelings are definitely mutual. Um, I can't wait to get dive deep into all fun topics, <laughs> which yeah. we are no doubt about to speak about. But before we do all that, I normally have one starting question that I love asking all my guests at the very, very start, which is what does success look like to you? Oh, that, I love that question. And I think about that question all the time because I think how I used to think was that success is a number in my bank. Mm. Success is feeling secure by that number in my bank. Success is getting married, having children. Success is the number of followers or likes I can get on a post. It's my photography work being featured on the cover of Vogue, whatever, whatever that is that the material goals. And I don't think those things are bad or wrong, but I felt a few years ago, this invitation to kind of take it deeper of almost what if I viewed success as legacy? What's uh -huh. the legacy I want to leave? And success to me is my family being unified and connected and in relationship with each other. Success is being committed to being the human that God has created me to be freely so that in my freedom, I can give other people the permission to be fully who they were created to be. Mm -hmm. Success is if one human collides with a piece of content, a podcast, a course, or a picture I've taken over the years, and they feel seen, known, heard, encouraged. That's where I want to live. Mm -hmm. That's where I want success to be for me. And I can easily go in and out of, oh, wait, I, I want that. I want that number. I'm a very results driven person. And I think results are important, especially as business owners. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we just run expensive hobbies. But to me, success is so much more about heart and relationship and legacy. I love that. Have you always been this results driven human being or has that sort of changed over time for you? 
Well, I've pretty much been a competitive person since I came out of the womb. And I was, <laughs> I was a athlete in college. I got a full ride scholarship to play tennis. And right. I also love, I loved math. I was a math minor in college. So I'm like, give me the formula. One plus one equals two. Y equals MX plus B. If you hit the ball here, it's out. Like I've really existed in the black and white of life for most of my life and that has felt really good it's a it's created me a lot of results and it's allowed me to achieve a lot and at moments it's also kept me stunted and stuck when i've when i've mm -hmm. allowed myself to be stuck in the in that black and white competitiveness because sometimes life isn't about being right <laughs> uh yeah 100 percent um totally relate to that <laughs> um yeah what would you say has been your greatest achievement out of all the things that you've ever done? Oh my gosh. My greatest achievement out of all the things I've ever done. I'm going to say two things. Am I allowed to? You are. <laughs> no, you're not. Well, I want to do you it are. right for you. I want to play the game of your podcast, right? Um, so I would say professionally, writing a book and finishing it and having it be out in the world mm -hmm. is a thing that I think most people talk about their whole lives. I want to do, I want to write a book, I'll write a book. And then it never happens. And even in my own process, I realized how proud I was to talk about the idea of writing the book as opposed to when I actually sat down and write, wrote <laughs> it, write it, read it. Write <laughs> it was it. thrown it. Thank you. I'm a writer who doesn't know grammar. Thank you. Me. Um, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, writing it was so much harder than I ever thought. It's the hardest, most challenging project I've ever worked on. It's my heart and my soul. So I'll say like professionally that that and then personally, I think. I mean, maybe there's more, but all I can think of in my head is being a sister. I have I'm one of six kids and I have four younger sisters and to get to be and close relationship with my little sisters. My youngest sister's 18 and she's a freshman in college. And to get to do life with her feels like a success. It feels like such a win. Mm -hmm. So I'm grateful for my family. What, what was it like for you growing up in such a big family? Did you ever like fight for attention at all? Uh, I'm sure we did. My so that my brother's the oldest, and then it's me, and then four other girls. So five girls, one boy. Wow. And I don't know that we fought for attention. I think more so it was just there's always something going on. Mm -hmm. There's always something happening. And I shared a room with a few of my sisters, and th there was chaos isn't the right word, but I don't even understand the concept of growing up as a single child because there it was always loud, always something happening, always something to do, always someone to hang out with, mm. fights going on, playtime going on. So I really, I really love it and I loved it. And then also I grew up with a ton of pain and dysfunction in my family and a and a really broken home filled with a lot of toxicity and addiction. And so to also have a huge, uh, a lot of siblings to move through that with, to have people 
understand this is what I'm going through right now. Because mm -hmm. if anyone has experienced trauma, you know, it's even it's it's traumatizing to have to explain your trauma yeah. and heartbreak to someone who doesn't get it. Mm -hmm. And then you're trying to convince them that, no, it matter. Like, this is painful. So to also have siblings that walked through really, really painful moments mm -hmm. with me together feels really important and helpful to me. I know what that's like. Like, mm. especially the explaining factor, it's kind of like for someone that doesn't get it, they're not really interested and they kind of zone out and you're trying to say, no, no, this is important and this yeah. affected me. So I guess it's that real understanding of what someone has actually been through and I guess overcome at the same, mm. at the same time. But what I'm curious about is you mentioned that you grew up in a broken home. Um, how did that shape your your identity and your views on life? Mm. Gosh, so many different ways. And I think, you know, as a child, kids are so resilient, so resilient. Kids are intuitive. Mm. Kids are way more intuitive and smart than adults give them credit for. And I think I wasn't awake to how much the pain was creating beliefs in me about myself, God, the way I viewed the world at the time, it was only in hindsight because I was too busy surviving it. Mm. I was too busy surviving it. And I think a couple narratives that I took with me from my childhood is that people who are supposed to be safe aren't safe. Yeah. And in that I can take care of other people I can really be there for other people. I mean, there, it, there's no accident that I am a leader and I'm a speaker. I'm like, let me help you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know if you can help me though. So I kind of developed this life where I could really support others, but that very few people could support me and be there for me because I lived a life in childhood that said, it's not okay to need. You have to be there to fix and pick up the pieces, but no one's going to be there to fix and pick up the pieces for you. So you take care of yourself in private because no one else will take care of you. Mm. I call it living in a daze almost. Like, mm. you know, you know, it's there, but you don't want to admit it's there. And it's that days sort of gets clouded by other actions that you sort of want to perform in the day, like helping another person that is going through a traumatic experience or you feel like they need your help. So then you put away helping yourself to help someone else, which yep. it's, it's that becomes kind of like an obsession um, because I was like that <laughs> um, in, in many ways, you know, I, yeah, so it's always a curious thing when looking at how we our viewpoints on on life are really shaped by our family and culture. Mm -hmm. And um, did that also affect with what you wanted to do in life at all? I can say from a very zoomed out perspective, yes. But definitely in the moment, that's not how I felt. I, I was always a very driven kid from mm -hmm. the time I was, I think, I think from the first time I hit a tennis ball, 
I thought I'm, I just fell in love with it. And I just wanted to, I couldn't get enough of tennis. I just lived, breathed, ate and slept it. And I knew from a very young age, I want to, I want to go to college and get a full ride scholarship. And so I don't, I think I can zoom out and say probably part of my drivenness was a response to the trauma I experienced of lack of stability at home, not knowing if my dad was going to be around or not, not knowing what was going to happen. And so to have something that felt really grounding mm. was really helpful. And then now I would say so much of my life and, and really even when I was younger in my role in the house was to take care of my little sisters. Mm -hmm. So I was taking care of my little sisters. I still take care of my little sisters. And then now I have this life in business that is built on supporting women. Mm. And so I would say, yeah, my childhood definitely, maybe the trauma woke up some unhealthy parts of that, but it woke up this thing in me that I felt as though, man, I was created, I was created for this mm. and I can, I can do that from a place of trauma and I can also do it from a place of wholeness. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think definitely, yes, what I'm doing today is connected to my childhood. So speaking about, I guess, faith, mm -hmm. the two questions from here. Um, first is, have you always been a believer in God, a Christian, a person of faith? And how has that helped you or has it helped you with dealing with trauma? Yeah. Good questions. So no, I have not always been a person of faith. I don't think I ever really thought about God growing up a ton. I, my extended family was very religious and we were, we th always thought that was really weird and my immediate family, we were not. So I didn't grow up in a, in a faith home. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but I became a Christian when I was 16 years old and mm -hmm. I had one of those God experiences where I came home from church camp and I was like, you guys, I have this really good news to tell you. God is real and God loves you. And I love Jesus. And let's read our Bibles. I mean, my family was like, what the hell happened to you? Where did we send you off to? And so that I had that experience of connecting with God that changed everything for me. And I think, oh my gosh, in regards to walking through or, or addressing the trauma of my past and, and how my faith has incorporated into that is I would say my faith has allowed me to stay connected to hope when everything else in my circumstances tell me that hope is not a possibility. <laughs> like based off the results of everything that's happened, the situation looks dire. Yeah. The, the addiction is gonna, is gonna take hold and happen again. And so experiencing the trauma of loved ones in my family, really, really struggling with addiction. And then still being able to hold on to hope. I mean, I feel like that has been such an anchor to me. Hope has been such an anchor. And then realizing just in the last few years 
that God speaks to me through my body and through my emotions and experiences and part of working through trauma. Trauma literally gets stuck in our body. Mm. It's trapped. (laughs) It's why in yoga classes, people start crying in pigeon pose because we keep that trauma in our hips and all of a sudden you're in yoga class, you're like, why am I crying? What is happening right now? Mm-hmm. Or you'll cry later that night. I I had that recently. I was like, why am I emotional tonight? I was like, we had an entire class that was all about hips. And so when I kind of realized, wow, God speaks to me and so much of how God speaks to me is through my body and through my experience, then as I am navigating and sort of following that route back to that, whatever the trauma was, realizing, okay, the the access point for healing is acknowledging the experience and acknowledging the pain, not pretending that it wasn't there, not pretending like my body's bad, my intuition is bad, the experience wasn't valid. No, I think my faith has shown me that our bodies are so powerful and our bodies are designed to keep us alive. And so when it's when that trauma is trapped, there's literally a block in our lives and our callings and our purpose. And so to to know that I can navigate the scary roads of processing trauma, going through your past is hard. Working through your stuff is not easy. And to know I can hold on to hope and I'm safe in my body because God is with me. I can, I can now, I can look my biggest fear in the eye. I can experience the worst case scenario Mm. and I can still be okay and safe. Mm. I love that. And it's, it's, um, it's very true. Like God says that he comforts those that need comforting. And when we go to him, it's almost like we, we feel like God is almost like this crutch that we often go to when we go into a challenge, but he's always there. He never leaves us. My favorite poem is footprints in the sand. Mm. Uh, If you've ever read that, it just, it gives me goosebumps every single time because we in our finite minds, we think, Oh, he's, he's not there. Why am I going through this traumatic experience, this challenge? It's horrible. It's hard. It's painful, but guess what? It doesn't mean that God has left us in that moment. He is enabling us to go through it and get to the other side. And once we do get to the other side, when we are able to look back, we notice that was for my better, better benefit, not, not my detriment. Mm-hmm. And so I think having that perspective towards your purpose in life is also a very very good thing to have because uh, for a lot of young people, I don't know about you, Kat, but when I was growing up, I saw my purpose as exactly what I needed to do. And what I needed to do was kind of like this avoidance of trauma. So it was my creative outlet, so to speak. So the more I did that, I felt like I was fulfilling something that was missing in my life. Whereas now I see my purpose as not what I do, but who I am. It's my character, my, my value system. I don't know if you look at purpose the same way. Yeah, no, I, I've never heard it put that way, but it makes so much sense. It's my, what I, I think what you're saying is 
my purpose is, is from the inside out. And so when I focus on character, integrity, taking responsibility and ownership for who I am and how I'm showing up in the world, mm -hmm. then like if I really want to experience transformation, it has to come from the inside out. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's such an it, it's almost I see it as the wall. It's like the walls and beams of purpose. Mm -hmm. Because if we want to, if I want to walk fully in my purpose to spread a message of freedom to women, then I get to build a firm foundation. Yeah. If I don't have integrity, if I don't have character, if I don't know how to ask for support, if I don't know how to rest, you know, these, these really core things, then I'm building a house of cards. Mm. That's going to fall eventually. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I like how you mentioned rest <laughs> and I'm I laughing. Kind of laughed and you said <laughs> I, I'm laughing because I suck at rest. <laughs> like that's, that's like the bane of my existence. I'm like, I don't want to rest. I don't want to rest. And there's been a couple of moments. I don't know if this ever happened to you, Cap, but God's literally laid me on my backside and said, I'm forcing you to rest now because you need it. And yeah. even then I've wrestled with it. Even yeah. then I was like, ah, oh, no, <laughs> like, yeah. And why, what do you think comes up for you when you think of rest or what's your resistance to it? Like I'm not doing something and I feel like I need to be doing something like next level. Like if I do rest then I'm wasting time, my mm. precious time that God has given me, mm -hmm. but then I got to realize God created rest. He even rested. So yeah. I'm like, okay, I can go a million miles an hour, but then I end up crashing. Mm -hmm. And that crash is, is I'm putting myself through pain that doesn't need to be there. Um, and that also impacts on how I see myself. So once again, going back to my purpose, because mm -hmm. if, if you're constantly going at a million miles an hour, there's no break, then you're always worried. You're always, you know, so I struggle with that. Yeah. I mean, I can understand that totally. I, I love efficiency, productivity. And even as you're saying that, I think of being an athlete and, you mm -hmm. know, you said before we got on the call, you worked out this morning at the crack of dawn. And which I, I love that physical activity is so important to me and to incorporate in that into our daily lives. But if, as all athletes know, that if you want to build muscle and excel at your sport or craft, you have to rest. Mm. The moments of biggest injury I got as a collegiate athlete was when I was overworked. And if we don't let our muscles rest after a super intense leg day, then we're going to rip our muscles. Mm. And so we see the value of taking breaks and pausing and resting in these other areas of our lives. But I think you hit on something really important. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I fear I'm not being productive or, or living up to my potential, or I can't remember the exact phrases that you use, but what I hear behind that is, will I be worthy if I'm being, yeah. am I worthy? Am I only worthy when I'm doing? Mm. And I think the invitation of rest is an invitation to be reminded that I am not God. And God, 
invites us to play and be purposeful and be a part of a, a God story that's beautiful and restorative and redemptive. And God doesn't need us. <laughs> and no. so to have a healthy reminder that who I am is who is rooted in whose I am mm. being a human made in the image of God, as opposed to, I do not matter because of what I produce. That's a, a beautiful part of the story. But if I, Kat Harris, never do or make anything for the rest of my life, I still am worthy. Mm. It's a lot harder to live that than to say it. <laughs> I, I literally put, I block off in my calendar weekly time off and I have to protect it because as a business owner, I'm sure, you know, it's your baby. You're thinking about it all the time. So to actively choose rest is a is countercultural for sure. And it shows me, oh, my gosh, first, I didn't know how tired I was. And actually, the creative ideas happen when I've taken a breather. Mm. So if I want to be productive, actually, I have to rest. If I want to be a good athlete, I can't run seven days a week. I need to have a break day. <laughs> so when you do rest, this is, this is great. When you do rest, what are some things that you incorporate in your rest day? Yeah, sleep, first of all. Oh, yeah, love sleep. Sleep when I wake up. <laughs> or wait, wake. <laughs> wait, <that's exciting. laughs> I let myself sleep until I wake up. Mm -hmm. I could use a little nap right now. Hello. <laughs> and I, one thing that I do is I keep my phone out of my bedroom mm. and I just have a little cheap $5 alarm clock in my bedroom so that when I wake up, my first thing to do isn't to grab for the phone and look at that blue light and start the social media scroll of death. Mm. And so on my day off, I really try to have at least 24 hours a week. And I'm not perfect at this, but the goal is 24 hours a week of no emails, no social media. Because guess what? The world doesn't come crashing down if I don't look at my email for 24 hours. <laughs> and my business doesn't collapse if I'm not active on social media for 24 hours so those are like some practical things. And then I typically do something to move my body. I am, I'm a kid that just needs recess. And so for me, it feels really restful to sweat. So whether it's a yoga class or something to be outside, just I want to play. Mm. I want to be outside. I want to play, run, go on a hike, do a yoga class, and then probably eat some good food. Pretty much just I really practice to avoid not avoid like, yeah, just not work because mm. it's so I don't know about you, but I just feel like it's so easy, especially when you run your own business to be nonstop. And I just don't think that's why any of us started a business. <laughs> no, it's kind of yeah. like the nature of the beast in a way it comes with the territory. But then you got to learn how to manage it. So. I think I like that. I like how you mentioned sleep because I'm a huge advocate for sleep. Like some people call me crazy because I go to bed at 8, 8.30 at night. Well, you wake up, wait, what time do you wake up? 4 a.m.? I wake up at 4 a.m. So, so I, I, I'm not a night person at all. Like if I was to do an interview 
at night, my brain shuts itself down because it knows that it needs its rest because I've been up mm-hmm. since 4 a.m. So the morning is my my haven. Like that is mm-hmm. the, the most amount of time that I am creative. And even on a rest day, like I have those like active rest days where I'm still working but not as much as what I would do during the week. So my Sunday is my winding down where I'll wake up a little bit later, five o'clock. <laughs> so, <laughs> I know, right? Um, You're just hurting my heart right now. <laughs> you do not want to know how late I wake up on my days off. <laughs> wow. I, I can't I can't do it. Um, I made myself a commitment back in 2017 and there's a story behind all that, which I won't get into, but it's basically this analogy came up one morning when I was watching the sun. So I thought, you know, if I can beat the sun that is constant, then no matter what comes my way during the day, I can beat that too. And so if I can wake up and create good habits in my life that are going to set me up for quite success in my day, then it starts with early morning beating something that is constant and never fails. So that's the way I look at it. <laughs> I think that's beautiful. And part of me is just jealous. I, I mean, and it, it's interesting that we're having this conversation today because I, I don't think I'm a night person or a morning person. I'm a, I need nine hours of sleep person, <laughs> however that can happen. But typically if left to my own devices, I would stay up until one or two every night. Wow. And that's, I'm fine with it, but it also does not set me up for success during my days. And Mm -hmm. so I am in a busy season with my book coming out and I, I want to be more intentional with my time. So I've started getting up at 6am and yesterday I got up at 5am and oh my gosh, by 8pm, I was like, I'm done. Who am I? I was so, <laughs> I've been so tired. And so I feel like I'm a little bit on jet lag trying to figure out a new rhythm, but it has been really, really good. And I, there's, there's something that is so beautiful about the stillness of the morning that like those, that first hour of the morning for me is <clears throat> me, God, and just journaling prayer And when I, when I have that stillness from the get go, it changes my whole day. So I can understand you waking up in the middle of the night (laughs) and that (laughs) 4am that is no joke. Nah, I have so many follow up questions, but that will turn into a different. (laughs) (laughs) I'm definitely happy to share uh, like later on for you. Mm why um and and uh yeah but i wanted to sort of steer this conversation because you mentioned your book which mm. is quite exciting your first ever book which i mentioned in the introduction that got picked up by one of the top three publishing companies in the world which is an honestly a huge achievement and should be very very proud especially for your first book the title is sexless in the city tell me about the title yeah Well, sexless in the city is a title of what my, what I was going through in my life. Mm -hmm. I was living in New York city. 
I am in New York City right now, but I moved to New York City and it was a a pretty pivotal moment in my life. I grew up in conservative Christian culture. I was taught a message that was pretty rule-based and shame-based about my body, about sex. I, I didn't know a lot, but I knew good Christian girls and boys don't have sex. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> and then I didn't really ever question that because it was very cultural and I didn't date a lot. So I was mm. never really confronted with, oh, what do I believe about sex? I just thought, oh, this is easy and it's no big deal because I never date. Well, I moved to New York City. I date up a storm. I online dating, all the things, have awesome experiences with guys and fall in love, get heartbroken, all the things and get to a point in my life where I kind of am like, why am I not having sex? Mm. It seems like everyone else around me is having sex. And I feel like the only person in the world who is not. And I went on a journey of really seeking God, seeking truth, seeking answers of God, what is your heart? If you have one for sex and intimacy, what does the Bible say? I was a Bible major in college, but could not tell you for the life of me if there was actually anything compelling in the scriptures about sex. And I, and I then asked myself the question after I find out what the Bible says, do I care what it has to say anymore? So it's my journey of really deconstructing a lot of the shameful narratives I internalized growing up in conservative Christian culture and then reconstructing a holistic vision for sex and relationships and intimacy and one that was rooted in, in freedom and one that I feel excited about and that internal motivation as opposed to I realized, wow, I'm actually the only reason why I wasn't having sex is because that's what everyone else externally told me what I should be doing. I had no agency or ownership mm-hmm. over how I was showing up. So it's my, it's my, my fumbling journey of my nonlinear process of, of navigating those doubts and questions and figuring out what I believe about God and sex mm-hmm. and, and all the things. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. I grew up with the same yeah, same teachings. Uh, and you're right. I never questioned it. I was like, oh, okay, I'll just follow along with it because if you did question it, you'd be perceived as uh, be shunned in a way or you'd be perceived as, um, I'm looking for a particular word here, but it just wasn't a good situation to be in. It kind of created more fear mm-hmm. and that fear stirred up anxiety and all these anxieties like when you're in a relationship oh i can't touch you because you got that that 10 10 feet or whatever it is rule um because if the moment you you touch a human being then that's going to release those primal urges that you've been born with to want to have sex with that that individual and therefore it is it is shameful god sees it as shameful but then like <laughs> I just had to like readjust my thinking towards, okay, why did God create sex in the first place? Firstly, he created it to be a beautiful thing. Secondly, 
100% to be between a man and a woman, husband and wife. He made that very, very clear. But he also mentioned it for to have fun. Like people sort of take that out and make it something else entirely. So I think our our viewpoint on, or my viewpoint, especially over the years towards sex has changed, definitely. But for you, Kat, I'm curious, do you still, or do you crave having, having that intimate moment, having sex with somebody? Of course. Oh my gosh. Desiring sex and intimacy. Our sexual desire is one of the most human things about us. And I think it's so important to normalize desire. It's so important to normalize. I'm feeling turned on right now. It's so important to normalize what I want right now is sex or orgasm or whatever it is that is coming up in that moment. Because when we shut down the desire out of should, Mm. then we're not giving ourselves the opportunity to acknowledge what it is that we really want. And until we give ourselves the permission to acknowledge what we really want, we can't in integrity move forward holistically. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean, if I pretend that I don't desire sex, I'm lying to myself. And it's only when I'm able to say, oh, actually, even right now, I'm I'm recording my book trailer this weekend. So I'm I'm not eating sugar and salt and dairy right now, not to lose weight, but just because it makes my me puffy on film. Mm-hmm. And so I'm say I want a pizza right now. And I'm choosing to not have that right now. Because I am connected to a greater vision for my future. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I think every human has sexual desire. And I believe our I believe God created our sexual desire. I believe God created pleasure. How do I know that? Our taste buds. <laughs> Food does not have to taste good. Mm. And it does. There's something that feels almost holy about eating a beautiful meal with other people. It's, oh my gosh, it's amazing. And I don't know if I'm allowed to go here on your podcast. You can cut it out if you want. But the female clitoris, the only purpose of it is pleasure. The only purpose of it. And so, and we also see Jesus turning water into wine and, and his first act of miracle in the new Testament so that people at the wedding could party and have fun and experience pleasure. And so a huge part of my journey was realizing, oh my gosh, sexuality isn't bad. Desire isn't bad. God created it Mm. and God doesn't create bad things. And so to release the shame that I had over being a sexual being, and I think, I think the message that culture can put on us is that we are our desire mm. and that desire runs the, runs the ship or is driving the car. So we basically are the sum of our urges. And that's, you know, Rob Bell in his book, Sex God says, that's why you hear people say, oh, I don't know, it was animalistic. I don't know how it happened. We couldn't help ourselves. And Bell challenges, can we really not help ourselves? Mm. God didn't make us animals. God made us distinctly human. And we see in the Genesis 1 creation account that God 
created humans distinctly and said, everything else is good, but humans are very good. Mm. And humans, uh, apart from anything else, reflect the God image. And so that's not just my spirit or my mind or my right toe. (laughs) That's all of me is very good. And so culture's message is you are your desire. And the message of God is you are a child of God. And my sexuality is a part of that. Mm. And my platonic friendships are a part of that. And my career is a part of it. But all those things aren't who I am. They're integral parts of the story. Who I am is a child of God. And so I think honoring that my sexuality and desire is a good part of the God design is something that really shifted in the conversation for me and and realizing, actually, I have nothing to be shamed about. God's not like, that's what happens when when guys get turned on. Uh Uh-oh, system malfunction. Mm. That's embarrassing. No, God created it. God created our bodies to respond in certain ways to each other. And that means we're human. And I think that is a beautiful thing. I think it is a beautiful thing too. And I think that we should also sort of normalize it a little bit more because it happens. And we all have those primal urges that God gave us in the first place. And I love how you brought it back to purpose, by the way, which is very clever. Well done for doing that. It's a very good uh, distinction and correlation. Um, One thing that I am curious about is uh, this might be a very personal question, but have you given in to those urges? Uh, what do you mean specifically do as in having sex or? Yes. Yeah. So I still have, I am still a virgin. Technically it depends on how you define sex. Um, <laughs> but yes. No P in the V over mm-hmm. here. That doesn't mean that I haven't done a lot of other stuff and I don't regret anything that I've done. And in fact, It wasn't until I was writing my chapter on sex in my book where I stopped and asked myself, what is sex? Mm. What am I actually abstaining from? If the biblical invitation that's repeated over 20 times in the New Testament is to flee from sexual immorality, which means a lot of things, by the way, but the general definition is sexual activity outside of marriage. So if, if the invitation is to abstain outside of marriage, what is it that I'm abstaining from? So for me, for a long time, it was like, as long as I don't cross the one, one place of the penis and the vagina, then I'm playing it God's way. So oral sex was fine. And all, all these, you know, hand stuff, everything, nakedness, all the things. So I, when you're like, so are you, people ask me, are you a virgin? I'm like, well, (laughs) technically, but it depends on how you define it. And, you know, I share all that not to be graphic, but for me, part of the process was what am I choosing to abstain from? And I like, what if you, what if you identify as LGBTQ are only people who are heterosexual people who lose their virginity? what if your spouse is impotent or what if as a woman you are one of 75 percent of women who can't climax internally can you not have a good sex life with your partner and so I started asking myself all these questions and I think as I did that my 
definition of sex expanded a lot. And which was interesting because I'm like, oh, crap, <laughs> I'm saying no to more now. But also, I think once I gave myself the permission to really tease this stuff out, really, that helped me take ownership over my own decision. So have I given into urges? Yeah. And there's been times where it's been beautiful and connecting between the person that I was dating at the time. There's other times where I, I'm not going to say I regret it because I don't regret anything, but I know for a fact that I have dated multiple guys that I probably wouldn't have gone on more than one date with if we had never gotten physical mm. because the physical as beautiful and amazing and connecting as it is, it definitely clouded my vision for discerning. Is this actually a person that's a good fit for me? Yeah. And so I think I, I often let physical chemistry lead the way, even though I never would have said that with my mouth, with my mouth, it was, well, do they love God? And do they have a vision for their life and, and all that stuff. But really I was letting the physical lead a lot of it, which physical is great. But at the end of the day, the average person has sex 52 times a year. And so much of, which is, that's, 52 hours if you're having hour long sex every time. <laughs> hey, and let's let's say you're having hour long sex. That's 52 hours and that's being generous, right? Hmm. How much of our lives are we revolving around 52 hours of an entire year? I'm not saying sex isn't important. I think sex is amazing. I cannot wait to experience it within marriage. I'm excited for that. I am ready for that. But I want to be with a partner that I want to run through life with for the other 23 hours of the day. Sorry, I'm okay. dog barking. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, it's fine. So pausing. Uh-oh. Is he? I want to see him. Is he there? Oh. Sorry. She, uh, the mailman just dropped off. Oh, yeah. I think so. <laughs> She's gone wild. I apologize for that. So what were you saying? No. Um, so I think for me, it was cause to really pause and, and think, wow, when I kind of pull back on the physical, it allows me to really holistically decide, is this person in alignment with what I want in a part partner? Mm -hmm. Are we are we actually compatible? Do we get along? Do we share values? Do they want to have kids? You know, do we have fun together? Yes, the chemistry is important, but I think in actively choosing to hold off on sex in my dating relationships, it's actually created a lot less drama in mm. my dating life. Mm. I've actually chosen to be single, not because, you know, like my choice to be single right now is because I'm waiting for the right one with the, the right values, the connection, everything. And I right now I'm in that place where I don't feel like I am ready to give 100% of myself. I feel like it will be selfish of me mm -hmm. if I'm it because I'm working all the time. I don't feel like I have enough time to give to that person. And yeah, it's not necessarily like the, the intimate or the physical moments or anything like that. As much as I would love to, it's more, the amount of time. So I think you made a very good, good distinction there, especially like explaining what sex actually is. 
is like everyone, the moment you hear those, those three letters that become the word sex, everyone just goes, Oh, taboo. I'm not gonna, not gonna even bother with that. But I think it's like I was saying before, we should normalize it. We should make, we should actually talk about it more, think about what it actually is and how it relates to each individual's life. Um, and yeah, the, yeah, so, so cool. Um, two more quick final questions for you, yeah. Kate, if you don't mind. Let's hear it. Let's do this. Where can people buy your book right now, connect with you and, and learn more about you? Yeah, so my book is available anywhere online where books are sold right now. So Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, ChristianBooks.com, Kindle, Audible, all of those places. And and then wait, I just read what was the second part of the question? <laughs> That's my book. Well, connect with you. Yes. And my website and Instagram is The Refined Woman. And my podcast, The Refined Collective, goes live every week. And I love when people slide into my DM. So come on over, say hi, let's be frenzies. And yeah, that, that's where you can find me. I'll make sure that is all in the show notes below when this does come out. My final question for you, Kat, is my all-time favorite question that I ask all my guests at the very end. It's a hypothetical one, and I want you to use your imagination with me for a moment. Okay. But just imagine that you've been able to reach the age of 100. Your friends have decided to put together a highlight film or a film of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Then ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic <laughs> for the sake of argument. They've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Mm. Man. I want to show, a, I want to live a life where I finish strong. Mm. Like finishing strong is something that's been so near and dear to my heart these last few years because there are close people in my life who have decided they don't want to finish strong and kind of on the last leg of their journey sat down. Like the, the finish line's right there. And they decided not only do I not want to finish, I'm just going to turn and go the other way. And I've seen the pain that that's caused in my relationships and my family. And I've, I've just kind of resolved, I want to be a person who finishes strong. And even in my entire book writing process, I had a post-it note on my computer and it says, I'm the type of girl who finishes strong. I'm the type of girl who does, who does what she says she's going to do. Mm -hmm. And then, so I want, I want that. And in that to live a life well lived, I want my movie of my life to show that hopefully I am kind to people. I am kind to strangers. Mm. I hope that that movie would show that I am kind to people who have nothing of gain to offer me. I hope that that video shows that I am playful and fun and life is too short to just take it all too seriously. I love living in the deep end of the ocean and talking about God and philosophy and theology and working on myself and all that fun growth stuff. And also go skinny dip and jump, jump into a pool over there and travel and have a dance party and be open to the unexpected adventure of life. So I hope my, I hope my film life says that I finished strong 
am kind and had fun along the way. I love that. I think it was, um, what was it? Hebrews 12 talks about running the race with patience and then being able to finish well, strong. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Cat. It's easy to start things. It is, but finishing easy them. Easy to start things, finishing them. Good luck. <laughs> we need more books about finishing strong. It's yeah. all five tips to start to write the book, five ways to jumpstart your wellness journey or your fitness journey. And everyone knows how to start something. Mm. We need to, we need to learn how to become a people who finish. Perfect send off message. (laughs) (laughs) Kat, thank you so much for your time, your energy. I know it was a long day for you. I really do appreciate everything that you have said today. I can relate to quite a bit of it. Um, And I hope this has been a help to you in some way as well. But thank you so much for coming on the Storybox podcast. Thank you, Jay, for having me. This is so great. I love it. It's been so fun to chat and I hope we can do it again. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcast. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the Storybox, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.